And I want to talk to you today about a fierce weather friend. A fierce weather friend. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles with you, I ask you to find your way to Luke chapter 8. And we'll be picking up in verse 22 here in just a few moments. But most of you will know what I'm talking about when I mention the words fair weather friend. Right? A fair weather friend is someone who remains a friend to you only so long as being a friend is a convenient or an easy thing for them to do. And since at least the mid-1800s, individuals have been using this phrase, fair-weather friend, and its analogy of weather to summarize friends who are only friends so long as the weather in the relationship is fair. These are friends who are happy with you when there are no storms in the life that you live. When the sun is shining, when fortune seems to be falling into your lap, a fair-weather friend is the friend that you expect to be right there with you. But watch out when the storms come. Watch out when things go bad in your life because that friend in those moments will be nowhere to be found because a fair-weather friend will not hang around when the storms of life come because a fair-weather friend either only wants you for what you can provide or simply can't deal with the drama of the storms in your life. I had a dear man who who I greatly love who asked me a few weeks ago what I thought about playing the lottery. And so I answered him, and I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I answered to him. The lottery is a dangerous game. Uh, It's a tax for people who stink at math, okay? If you're lousy at math, then then the the lottery is a tax for you. And while it may be fun for some individuals, it's dangerous for other individuals. Because some people don't understand the odds of the lottery. And so they invest what meager income they have on as many tickets as they can buy with the hope that they're going to strike it rich. And in the end, instead of living a modest living by wisely using their meager income... They end up destitute with only a pile of what could have been lottery tickets to show for their labors. And some individuals even scale back on their labors or don't work at all. And they try to find income through other means, sometimes dishonest means, so that they can buy more lottery tickets with the hope that they're going to strike it rich and never have to do that thing called rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. Now, I realize that not everyone who plays the lottery is going to spend all of their earned income on that sort of thing. For many individuals, it's just a fun game. But I know what a snare the lottery can be for so many individuals. And so, because I greatly understand this, as well as how the odds are so greatly stacked against me, as well as how if I were to play the lottery, that could be a stumbling block for others who do struggle in this sort of area, I personally do not play the lottery. I do not recommend that anyone else plays the lottery. So I explained all this to my dear friend. And at the end of that, he said, okay, now suppose I were to play the lottery and I won an $877 million jackpot. That jackpot that was out there a few weeks back. You guys will remember that. And suppose I wanted to tithe to the church from my winnings. Would the church accept my Tithe. This was the question from my friend. And I said, 
you better believe we would. (laughs) Because we're not going to let your unwise financial decisions keep you from being obedient to the Lord when it comes to tithing. Maybe, maybe that makes me a fair weather friend. I don't know. But many an individual who has come into a sudden fortune, like a lottery winning, has learned what it's like to have fair weather friends. These are the individuals who learn about the sunny days of your life, and they're happy to share those sunny days with you. Or fair weather friends might be happy to go with you to the fancy restaurants, so long as they know that you're picking up the tab. Or they may be happy to associate you with that with you during while you're serving in that high position in work or at the church or in some other capacity because they want to borrow some borrow some of your credibility when it comes to the organization that they too are a part of or they may be happy to hang around you and enjoy laughter and smiles and the good things that come with the fair weather times of life but when storms come fair weather friends no longer show themselves to be friends. When you lose that fortune, or when you receive that diagnosis, or when you're fired from that position, or when you're arrested for that crime, or when you're struggling with that broken relationship, you find that a fair-weather friend cannot be counted on in those moments of life. The fair-weather friend throws up his hands and says, I can't deal with all of this mess in my life. I've got enough drama on my own. And the fair-weather friend in that moment is found to be lacking. And so instead, when we know fair-weather friends here on earth, we find that we are longing for something greater. We find that we are longing for for one who will be a friend with us through the fierceness of the storms. We find that we are longing for a fierce weather friend. And today, as we dig into God's Word, we're going to see, my friends, that Jesus is a fierce weather friend. If you have God's Word, I'd ask that you stand with me now to honor the reading of His Word. Let's all stand together if you're able. And as I mentioned, we will begin in verse 22 of Luke chapter 8. Here's where we read. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Here's the ending of God's holy word, if you will be seated. And this is a familiar passage to so many of us because we've grown up hearing this passage. 
This is a passage which is so common in children's Bibles. It's common in Sunday school lessons and children's church gatherings. This is a lesson that if you had some involvement with church in your life prior to becoming an adult, you probably heard about Jesus' work in calming the storm. It's a familiar theme for vacation Bible schools and so on and so forth. It's a beloved account of this event in Jesus' life that reminds us both of his power and of our need to trust in him. And this event that Luke records for us today is an event that is also recorded by the other gospel authors of the Synoptic Gospels. It it exists there in Matthew chapter 8 as well as Mark chapter 4. And so that's one of the things that leads to its familiarity with us. But Luke starts out here in his account of this event in Jesus' life simply by recording that Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. We're talking about Jesus and the men that he is preparing to carry on his gospel ministry once he has ascended into heaven. They get onto a boat. And you might recall through our study of Luke thus far that Jesus' disciples had a lot of experience with boats. As a matter of fact, at least four of these men had been professional fishermen before they left their nets to follow Jesus. But apparently they still had access to boats. We see later on, for example, after Jesus is risen in the Gospel of John that the disciples are out fishing And Jesus shows them who he is by doing the same thing that we've already seen earlier in Luke. He tells them to cast their nets out on the side and they bring in a great haul. Well, if they're still fishing after Jesus' ascension, they've still got some sort of tie to these boats. Maybe they still had the family members who were there in the family business. Whatever the case may be, they have access to boats. And so on this day, Jesus and the disciples get into a boat. And it's a sailboat. We know that from verse 23. That's where Luke says that once they departed, they were sailing along. Now, the place where this boat was sailing was an area that's that's prone to exceptionally fierce storms. It's an area that's surrounded, actually, by mountains. There are the Golan Heights over on the east, and then there is Mount Hermon, to the north. Mount Hermon being a tall mountain which would would typically be snow-capped, but when the snow would melt, it would drift down, funnel into this river, forming a, a freshwater lake that is known as the Sea of Galilee in all other accounts. Luke actually refers to it as a lake and not to a sea, which is really a more accurate description in terms of how we identify lakes versus seas. But this lake that we find here in verse 22 It's 13 miles long from north to south and about seven miles wide from east to west. And it's it's a freshwater lake. Not only is it a freshwater lake surrounded by kind of mountains on either side, but it's a lake that is actually the lowest elevation freshwater lake in the world. This, This lake is actually some 700 feet below sea level. And you compare that with the mountains that are around it. Those hills and mountains uh, ascend to over 2,000 feet in certain places. And so what what you find in this is that there, there is actually this prime environment for storms to form. 
Because as the mountains are around, the, the wind would sweep down these mountains. You've got the wind coming from the Mediterranean Sea to the east would sweep down. And then you've got cold wind from the Golan Heights, which would sweep down from the west, from the east. West is Mediterranean Sea, east is going to be the Golan Heights. And these winds coming together, you know what happens when cold and, and hot air combine together? Well, it would happen over this lake. Great storms would form. This area was known for exceptional storms. The Sea of Galilee is a place where people expect great storms to happen. And that continues to be the case today. And on this day, Jesus gives a simple command to his disciples as they enter a boat. And he says, let us go over to the other side of the lake, the other side of this Sea of Galilee. And while that command seems so simple to us, it ultimately sets the stage for this great drama on the Sea of Galilee. For just as we've read a few moments ago, on their journey to the country of the Gerasenes, Jesus and his disciples encounter a great storm. In fact, the New American Standard Bible translators translate what they encounter as a fierce gale of wind which descended on this lake. And Jesus was leading his disciples into a fierce storm. And as he does that, he's going to reveal to his disciples that he is a fierce weather friend. In fact, I want to share with you from this passage three reasons why Jesus is a fierce weather friend. The first is this. Jesus is a fierce weather friend because he chooses to be there for you even though he knows what's wrong with you. Let me say that again. Jesus is a fierce weather friend because he chooses to be there for you even though he knows what's wrong with you. Jesus proved through his ministry and particularly through his resurrection from the grave that he was the very son of God. And as this divine son of God, Jesus has all of the attributes of divinity. He has all the attributes of what it means to be God. And one of those attributes he has as God in the flesh is that he is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the future. He knows what will happen in certain situations. Why does that matter here in this passage? Well, because you should know that Jesus knew about this storm before his disciples went in that direction. Before he commanded them to go in that direction. While this storm may have caught everyone else off guard, it did not catch Jesus off guard because he is God in the flesh. And so that causes us to ask an important question. Why would Jesus lead his followers into a storm? Now, for us to consider why Jesus would do a thing like that, we should take a moment to, com- to consider really what storms in general reveal to us about ourselves. And it's good for us to really abstract this up a little bit. Certainly this passage has some insights for us on how we can live by faith in the midst of actual physical storms as they come upon us here in life. But life is full of all sorts of storms, of other varieties. There are all sorts of situations that we encounter that mirror what we encounter in a storm. Storms are oftentimes these unexpected events that are out of our control and life can get like that can it the storms of life they come in many forms 
And this passage has lessons for us that are practical for us in the midst of all manner of storms that we might encounter in life. And storms, those situations that take us out of our comfort zones and remind us that there are things which threaten us, which are out of our control. Storms test our faith. Storms shake us around until what's really within us comes out of us. And as this comes spilling out, storms cause us to realize that we cannot depend on ourselves. And storms cause us to reach out beyond ourselves to something that is greater than what we can do on our own. And so to summarize, storms develop character and storms reveal character. That's certainly the case for what Jesus is doing with his disciples here in these verses. He knew about the storm. And he knew that the storm would reveal in his disciples a lack of faith. When the waves grew large, they they looked at how great the waves were and they forgot how great the God was who was in the boat there with them. And Jesus knew that there was something that was lacking in his disciples. He knew that they were lacking this area of faith. But he chose to be with them anyways. That's a fierce weather friend. A fair-weather friend will learn some negative flaw in your character and then will find some reason to stay away from you. But not a fierce-weather friend. A fierce-weather friend stands by when your flaws are on display and loves you through those flaws. And Jesus needed his disciples to know about their flaws and to grow past them. So he chose to be there with them and to help them find a peace that they could use for any storm that might come in the future. But they weren't ready for this storm. And let me say this, the time to prepare for a storm is not in the midst of the storm. The time to prepare for the storm is before the storm comes. And there's a truth later in this passage for those who are in the midst of a storm right now. But before I get to that truth, I want to ask those of you who are not in a storm right now, those of you who are living in the fair weather, in the good times of your life right now, I want to ask you, are you ready for the storms when they come? When the storms of life bombard you, how are you resolved in your heart to respond? What if you get a diagnosis this coming week that says that you've only got a few months left to live? Are you sure in your heart how you're going to respond to that storm? What if you lose your job this coming week? Are you ready for that storm? Think of those who you love most. What if they were taken away from you in a senseless act of violence or through some other means like what Lizzie spoke about with their pastor friend? I hope that never happens. But if it does, my friend, are you ready for that storm? How will you respond? And my friends, we must confess that we are flawed. We are fallen. There's something terribly wrong with each and every one of us. 
If you say, my life is a mess, then welcome to the race of humanity, my friends, because that's the truth for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us bears the curse of this fallen race. And Jesus knows that we all have something that is wrong with each and every one of us. But I want to tell you, my friends, he's a fierce weather friend. He is a friend who stands by you through this. He is a friend who knows what's wrong with us and yet chooses to come after us. He chooses to let us endure the storm so that we can grow from them. And he does not abandon us in the ship or leave us to our own devices. Because Jesus is a fierce weather friend. In fact, Jesus knows about your heart if you are rejecting him. He knows how you disobey him in the everyday life. And yet time and time again we see through God's word that his love is still for you. His desire is still for you to be restored. His passion is still to find you and to reconcile you in peace. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's a fierce weather friend. And the first reason you can know that Jesus is a fierce weather friend is because he chooses to be there for you. Even though he knows what's wrong with you. The second reason why Jesus is a fierce weather friend is this. Jesus is a fierce weather friend because he answers the call when you cry out for help. Now, as Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee, before they traveled into the storm, verse 23 records that Jesus fell asleep. And here we have one of those facets of Jesus' nature that remind us of his humanity. It reminds us that not only is Jesus God, but he is God with us. He is God in the flesh. He is fully God and fully man, both at the same time. And Jesus needed sleep, just like you and I need sleep. And this episode records that for us. In fact, this is the only biblical episode we have that records anything about Jesus sleeping. Typically around this time of year, we start to sing songs like, Sleep in heavenly peace. Right? That's, there's no description of Jesus sleeping when he was an infant child. Did he sleep while he was an infant child? Of course he did. He was man, fully man. This is in what we have revealed in Scripture, the only indicator that we have of a literal explanation about Jesus sleeping. Even though it's something that he would have had to do from the cradle to the grave. But Jesus is a great high priest. And that's what this reveals for us, my friends. He is able to mediate between God and man because he knows the experiences of God and the experiences of man. And Jesus knows what it's like to be dead tired. I mean, I can only imagine how exhausting this ministry must have been. We talked last week about how the crowds were so thick around him that he couldn't even eat. That's why his mother and his brothers came trying to rescue him from all of this mess. They could tell he was exhausted. They were worried about his mental state. And surely Jesus had an exhausting, dead tired sort of ministry as he went about caring for all of humanity in his ministry here on earth. But Jesus knows what it's like. 
He knows what it's like to be a man. He could fall asleep in a boat that was in the midst of a storm that was causing that boat to be covered with waves. Jesus was so exhausted. And as Jesus fell asleep in the boat, the storms came. With Jesus in the boat, the storms came. That's an important truth you need to know here, friends. Storms will come into your life, even if you're following Jesus. And if you've been told by some prosperity gospel-yielding preacher that if you just follow Jesus, then your life will be all healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you won't have any problems, it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out, I want to tell you you've heard a lie. Because that's not what God's Word promises to us. Following Jesus doesn't exempt you from the storms of life. Here are the disciples. They have left everything in order to follow Him. And yet, even while He's there with them in the boat, the storms come raging. And still, they face the storms. And following Jesus will not keep you from the storms of life. Being in the boat with Jesus does not guarantee you smooth sailing, but it will provide you with the comfort of knowing who is Lord over the storm. And Jesus had this lesson that his disciples needed to learn. They needed to learn who was Lord over the storm. And thankfully, Luke gives us the abbreviated version, right? This is a a lesson that we can learn from God's word. And so hopefully, we will all hear and heed this lesson here today on the one who commands the winds and the waves and the circumstances of the situation that are in your life here and now. Because I want you to know, my friends, no matter what the storm may be, Jesus is the Lord over it. No matter what the circumstances might be, Jesus is the Lord over them. He rules and he reigns over every storm that you and I might encounter, and we need to know this. And there are certain characteristics of this storm that are characteristic of the storms of life that you will face. For example, we can't predict the intensity of storms. The disciples didn't know that a storm was brewing. It seems as though the storm hits them at a time when they're least expecting it. And you might say, well, you know, we've got meteorologists who can take a look at the weather maps and they can kind of take a barometric pressure reading and they can look at other factors of humidity. They can kind of predict for us a certain level of understanding of how intense the storm is going to be and when that storm is going to hit. Well, maybe to a degree. But I think this past hurricane season is a good reminder for each and every one of us that even the meteorologists don't always get that right, right? We had Hurricane Michael that was brewing down to the to the east actually of us this is east on your side to the east of us and and that storm looked like it was going to be a mess i mean it looked like it was going to cut straight through our area so the meteorologist told us to go out and get prepared and the shells were bare right i mean you couldn't find bread for a for a 800 mile radius while everybody's getting ready for that storm but then michael never made its way here it took a detour went another way Well, then we had Hurricane Florence to the south. And, you know, everybody kind of thought, well, Hurricane Florence is going to come up through Florida. It'll kind of pewter out. We won't have any more to worry about when it gets here. So nobody went. The the shells were all still stocked. You know, we put our flashlights back in the drawer and then boom, power's out for most of us. Right? 
Because we couldn't predict the strength of that storm. We couldn't predict the timing of that storm. And so often, that's what storms of life are like. So many storms come when we're least expecting them. And this storm was no exception. This storm was like so many that we face. It was out of the disciples' control. Just as so many storms of our own lives are out of our own control. And now we should take a moment to recall, as I've already mentioned, that strong storms were so common on the Sea of Galilee. And we should also remember that that at least four of these disciples were fishermen by trade. They had worked on this sea for the majority of their lives. They had dealt with some of these treacherous storms that are common to the Sea of Galilee. But this was a storm like no other. This was a storm that caused them to question whether or not they were going to make it. This must have been some storm. It was a greater storm than they had ever experienced. And it was a storm that caused them to give up hope that they would even survive. This storm, in fact, caused them to realize just how helpless they really were. Yeah, they may have invested a lifetime on the sea. They may have invested a lifetime learning how to steer around these storms. But all of their labors, all of their works, all of their efforts could not contribute to what they needed here in this storm. And so they realize here in this moment that they need a fierce weather friend. They realize that they need someone who can do something beyond what their training, what their preparation, what their own capabilities are able to doing. And so they cry out to one who is a fierce weather friend. They cry out to Jesus. And we get a sense here from this passage that crying out to Jesus was really the last thing that they did. We get the sense that they had to go through a time of trying on their own, a time of pulling it off on their own before they would realize that they had a need for Jesus to take care of the storm. They tried to save themselves before they sought his help. And that's where I see the lack of faith here in this passage. You see, Jesus was allowing his disciples to carry on by themselves so that they could finally realize the failures of their own abilities And come to realize just how much they needed him to make the difference. But Jesus is a fierce weather friend. Because even when the wind and the waves are crashing over the boat, Jesus was not awakened by that. I mean, that's a pretty amazing sort of thing to think. Of this boat rocking back and forth and wrecking into the waves. And the waves crashing over to the point where another gospel author talks about how the boat was close to the point of being filled it was close to capsizing and jesus is in the stern of this boat asleep the storm will not wake him and you may think it's a pretty amazing thing that the storm would not wake jesus but there's something that's even more astonishing to me here in this moment even as jesus could not be woken by the wind and the waves and the tumultuous time that this storm brought Do you know what did wake him? The cries for help of his disciples. Even when the wind and waves could not wake Jesus up, the cries of his disciples could. 
Now that's a fierce weather friend. It doesn't matter what the circumstances may be. A fierce weather friend will answer the call. A fierce weather friend will be there for you. A fierce weather friend comes to your aid. And that's what Jesus does here. And my friends, if the boat of your life is rocking, if the winds are blowing and the waves are raging, I want you to know that there is a fierce weather friend for you. There is a fierce weather friend who can handle your storm. There is a fierce weather friend who hears and responds to your prayers. Are you sending out the distress call? Are you ushering up to him your pleas for help? Or are you trying to go through the storm alone? Now, I can't guarantee that Jesus will pull you out of the storm that you're in. But you can bet your bottom dollar that he hears and he responds and he will do what is right. How can I be sure of that? Well, because that's the summary of Jesus' ministry. Jesus came to save. In Matthew's account of this episode, he recalls that someone among his fellow disciples cried out with these words, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now that's a cry that Jesus will answer. Are you crying out for him to save you? Are you crying out to him saying, Lord, the storms of my life are many. I have no settled peace. I don't know what's going to happen with me when this storm is over. I don't know what's going to happen with me when this life ends. Are you crying out with that sort of mentality that, my friends, Jesus stands ready to save you? Because when we've hit the end of our abilities, we find the fierce weather friend who has all abilities, who grants to us his righteousness by the work that he has done, the thing that only he could do in bearing the penalty of our sins and still being the righteous one before God. He has done so that you can find life. You can find safety. You can be saved in him. And friends, you should know that apart from Jesus, you are perishing. The weight of your sins is drowning you. You need to be saved. So will you cry out to him with these words? Will you cry out and say, save me, Lord Jesus, I am perishing. Because Jesus has come to save. And it's amazing to me that in this passage, he is able to tame the wind and the waves. And yet he would still be willing later on in his life to endure the mocking, to endure the shame, to endure the abuse and being spat upon and stripped naked and hung to an instrument of execution. It's amazing to me that Jesus could speak to the wind and waves and still them, and yet he would still bear that. And you know why? Because he has come to save. And he's come to do that for you. He has come to bear the stripes that we have earned. He's he's come to bear the penalty which was rightfully ours. He has come as the just for the unjust that we might find peace with Almighty God. And Jesus is a fierce weather friend because he answers the call when you cry for help. That's the second reason why Jesus is a fierce weather friend. Here's the final one. Jesus is a fierce weather friend because he can deal with your storms. Jesus is a fierce weather friend because he can deal with your storms. 
So often a fair-weather friend checks out when the going gets tough. A fair-weather friend says, you know what? I don't need this in my life. I don't need this drama. I can't handle this mess. But that's not what we learn about Jesus here in this passage. Jesus can deal with our storms. In fact, he displays a power that causes the wind to cease and the waves to lay flat. How does he do that? Well, Jesus simply speaks and it is done. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the serving waves and they stopped. And it became calm. And friends, that is great power on display. That's a power that none of our technological advances has come close to. Nothing man has done on his own can stop the wind and the waves. But simply by the words of his mouth, Jesus can. Mark's account records that he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind and the waves in that moment heard a voice that was familiar to them. It was a voice that had actually spoken them into creation back in Genesis chapter 1. As a matter of fact, we read about that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him all things were made. Apart from Him nothing was made that has been made. This was the Word that became flesh, my friends. This was the voice that had spoken creation into order. Now speaking to that same creation. Hush, be still. And in this moment, Jesus now calls that which He has created to settle down. And the wind died down. And it became perfectly calm. I can't help but think here that this is just a foretaste of what we have coming in all of eternity, my friends. As Christ comes again for his own and shall one day create a new heaven and a new earth. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Because the one who spoke it into creation will speak it into peace. And here we have a foretaste of that in just this small microcosm of what Jesus does. And calming the wind and the waves. Can you imagine the silence of that moment? Can you imagine the silence after the, the ship is crashing against the waves and the winds are blowing and you can't hear and you're yelling out to the closest person to you and they still can't hear you because of the storm and then all of a sudden Jesus speaks and it is silent. You can hear the boards creaking underneath your feet. You can hear the water in ripples lapping up against the side of the boat. And suddenly, all is at peace. That would be a pretty shocking experience, would it not? It certainly was for Jesus' disciples. And in that moment, as their faith had been tested, a new sort of storm entered into their hearts. We find that they were fearful, they were afraid in this moment. They were surely thinking to themselves, why did we not trust in Him? Why did we not call out to Him sooner? Why haven't we gotten this lesson yet? Surely we've seen Him work miracle after miracle 
but why are we still doubting that he will prevail through this storm and accomplish what he has said he will do? And the Bible draws our attention to this important question that the disciples ask here. It's a question that we need to ask as well. Who then is this? Who commands that even the winds and the waves of water and they obey him? And I want to tell you who he is. He is God in the flesh. He is the Savior come down to save all of those who are stuck in an eternal storm. He is Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the more you realize who he is, the more you will trust in what he can do. And my friend, I want to ask you, is your faith in him? In the midst of this trial that you're going through in your life, is your faith in him? Because for these disciples in this moment, their faith had fled. Their perspective got out of whack. They stopped looking at Jesus and started looking at those huge waves. But hear me on this. Jesus was bigger than those waves. He was bigger than those waves all along. And he's bigger than the storms in your life as well. And you need to know Jesus is worthy of your trust in the midst of life's storms. Do you believe that? Let me give you, as we close here, three quick resolutions of trust in the one who can handle the storms of your life. Do you want to live with faith in the midst of life's storms? Resolve to keep these commitments and you'll do well with our fierce weather friend. Resolve that, first of all, I will obey him, even if he leads me into dangerous situations. You see, the storm that the disciples faced here was a storm that came about not because they were being disobedient, but because they they were being obedient. Jesus told him to go into this storm. And the question you and I need to be prepared to answer is this, am I willing to follow Jesus into the storms? Because there's no promise that following him will steer us away from these storms. But there is an assurance, an ironclad assurance, that he will be with us through whatever storm he calls us into. And I fear that so often we wouldn't even be where the disciples were in our own faith because we would have heard Jesus telling us to go across this sea, which is so common for its storms, and we would have said, Jesus, you know, I don't think that's the right thing for me to do. There could be danger. You're leading me into something that could be perilous to me but at least the disciples went even if they got unglued as they were in the midst of the storm they did obey his voice and we too must obey him even when he leads us into dangerous situations we resolve we resolve to do that i will obey you even if you lead me into dangerous situations secondly you should resolve the following i will trust him even when the outcome looks dreary let me ask you is there a storm of life any storm not just a storm you're in the midst of right now is is there any storm that you could fathom that would throw you off from trusting in jesus despite all that he's done for you how many winds and waves would it take i think if we're honest it wouldn't take a lot for most of us But we must resolve to stop looking at the circumstances of life and start looking to the Savior who rules over the winds and the waves. Finally, I urge you to make this resolution. I will remember His power even when life gets rough. 
You see, through this storm, the disciples were in the midst of training. They were in the midst of preparing for something that would come later on. They were learning that the Lord could get them through something that they thought they could never get through. With this newfound fear, if Jesus had made any sort of request of them, can you imagine them turning him down? Can you imagine in the moment when now the sea lies flat, the boat is no longer wading back and forth, the, the, the winds are no longer battering against them. Can you imagine in that moment of fear and amazement if they had somehow heard from Jesus that he wanted them to press on? And they said, no, Jesus, we've learned our lesson. We're not going where you tell us to go anymore. That would be a, a ridiculous sort of thing for them to say, would it not? They had seen his power at work And this was equipping them for greater works than these. They would face greater storms than these. In fact, these disciples, the majority of them, would have their lives taken away as they face persecution with a boldness that says, Jesus is Lord, and you need to know about his power over your life. The disciples needed this message they needed to know what you and i need to know as we face the storms of our lives it's the testimony that god gives us throughout his word god is in control god is in control i don't know what the storm is that you may be going through i don't know what the peril is that you may be facing there may be even something that god is calling you to do And you're saying in your heart, I just don't know if I can do that thing. I I don't know if I can stand up in that way against that thing that's happening at work. I I, I don't know if I can deal with that brother in the midst of his sin. I, I just don't know if I can go to that place and those people who need to hear the gospel. I know they need it, Lord, but there will be perils there. There may be lessons, my friends, that we need to learn from these disciples to say that God is good. And when he commands his own, he commands us with a power that rules and reigns over all that we may face. And so let us resolve to be people who live with a life that displays to others that God is in control. And these storms may be fierce at the moment, But his plans are eternally good for me. Would you resolve to live that way? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, your plans are indeed good. In the storms of life, they are many for us, O Lord. There are certainly individuals here who are going through storms now. Lord, we know this is a common experience of mankind. But God, I just pray you would increase our faith. Let us learn from the example of these disciples the lesson that can only be learned either by going through the storm or by seeing the truths that you teach in situations like this to others who've been through the storm. Lord, let us learn that you control all things. You've got it all in the palm of your hands. And yet you have granted to us a fierce weather friend 
who will be there for us through the storm. Lord, may we live lives that show we trust in Him. May we yield up our own pursuits of our own righteousness and say we have nothing apart from Him. God, I pray that each and every individual in this place would give consideration to the only one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the only one who can be the rescuer, the only one who is the Savior forevermore. And may we, O oh Lord, get in the boat with Him and be ready to do whatever He tells us to do. I pray these things in Jesus' name.